0: Appreciate you. <laughs> hey, what's up? Uh, my name is Mason Venhouse. I'm the worship director here at ACF. So we're talking with you guys today. We are in a series called uh, Come Alive, which we started at Easter of this year, right, with the, the resurrection of Jesus, of course. And uh, last week, Pastor Brian was sharing with us on our, our thought life, right? How do we come alive in our thoughts? How do we experience resurrection life in, in our mental life? And this week, we get to talk about Emotions. How do we come alive in our emotions? And uh, i got to be honest, just from the start here, I did not think I was the right guy for this message. If you know me at all, you would probably not describe me as an emotional guy. I don't think anyone's ever said that. Like, Mason, man, so emotional, that dude. That is... That's never happened. And so I, actually, I was, I was going to ask Brian, like, hey, can we swap weeks here? Because I'm like, a kind of an analytical, intellectual guy. Like, I'm up in my head all the time. I, I, I spend a lot of time with my thoughts. I could probably speak to that. But emotions, ooh, that's tough. Uh, but I wrestled with it a bit, and I realized, no, this, is, this has been a journey for me. Dealing with my own emotions has been a major struggle in my life. And actually, this is probably going to be good for me to think through this and process through this. So... I'm preaching to myself, as much as anybody here, uh, on this topic, and uh, I'm going to be sharing some of my journey, and hopefully we all learn something along the way. But first, I want to start out with uh, just distinguishing these two ideas, I, uh, thoughts and emotions, right? Because they're very interrelated concepts, a little, bit, a little fuzzy where one starts and the other ends. So, so I turned to the internet, and here's what the internet told me about the difference between thoughts and emotions, uh, so it says this, thoughts are mental cognitions, our ideas, opinions, and beliefs about ourselves and the world around this. And I would add to that that a thought generally has some sort of a you know, co- or, sorry, verbal statement or phrase. There's, there's like words attached to a thought, right? So things like, I am tired. It's a thought. I am hungry. Why does Pastor Brian have an eyebrow ring? These are, these are thoughts that, that we all have. I know we do. It's okay. What about, what about like emotions then? What is an emotion? According to the internet, this is what emotions are. Emotions are the flow and experience of feelings. The flow and experience of feelings. So this is more of the idea of something sensory. It's a sensation. It's, it's a little more, more physical. It's something you feel less than something that's a, yeah, cognitive content or, or verbal in some way. And so we're focusing on the emotional side of life in this morning. But we realize that these are very interrelated because we know that thoughts follow feelings, and feelings can follow thoughts. We, we've all had that experience of you start thinking on something, and you, you ruminate and ruminate, and, and the feeling starts to rise up, maybe anxiety or, or something like that, right? That feelings follow the thought. Well, I think it works the other way, too. Sometimes you just have an emotion. You just feel off or something. You can't describe it. You can't put words to it. Just something's off, and, and you have to think hard and long about why it is that you feel that way. So these are different realities, but they, they play off one another, Okay. So, again, we're focusing on the emotional side, and how do we become emotionally healthy? How can we experience resurrection life in our emotions? I think this is something that God wants for us, for, for our church, to be emotionally healthy would be just an amazing, amazing thing. So I'm going to start out here with my, my main point, all right? This is the, the gist of my message. If you've got to leave early or you, you fall asleep, whatever, it's, it's cool. You, you got the point, okay? Let's write this. It's, uh, we should never be ruled by our emotions, but we should be informed by them should never be ruled by our emotions, but we should be informed by them. Another way of saying it could be emotions are a great servant, but a terrible master. We do not want to be mastered by our emotions. And kind of the picture I have was like, you're in your car with your emotions, all right? And you need to stay in the driver's seat. You need to keep your hands on the steering wheel. We don't want to give emotions the steering wheel and let them drive your life. At the same time, we don't want to chuck emotions out of the car, all right? They deserve a place in your vehicle. Because they have valuable information for you. They, they're meant to guide you and direct you in life. So you want to be in conversation with your emotions. The, the, the picture I have is like they're, they're riding shotgun with you. Like your friendly navigator saying, hey, like we got we to gotta turn right up here in a mile. Or you're going a little fast. <laughs> let, let's let off the gas pedal, okay? So we want to be in conversation with our emotions. And I think we can fall into two ditches, di- two ditches here, all right? Ditch one is uh, we let emotions drive the car right? We hand over the steering wheel and we just become reactive. We just believe whatever we feel and we let that decide our choices and and actions in life. Choose our direction. We just become emotionally reactive. Very emotionally unhealthy. We don't want to be in that ditch. The other ditch is we we chuck emotions out of the car, right? We ignore, we suppress, we reject emotion. We're not not even aware of what, what we're feeling, right? We're not processing through our feelings in a healthy way also very emotionally unhealthy. So we want to be somewhere between these two extremes. And uh, for me, my, for myself, I spent a lot of time in both ditches. I right? have been a bit of a wall-to-wall driver. And uh, I would say, so over here, I'll call this my angsty adolescent years. Uh, from like teenage up to mid-20s, I was very emotional and very emotionally driven. I probably didn't look like it from the outside, but most of my cho- choices in life were decided by emotion because I just, I just believed what I felt. I just believed what I felt. So if I felt lonely, I decided that's because I was actually alone. I was actually alone in the world and probably because I'm a loser, probably because nobody likes me, and your thoughts spiral out that way, right? It started by that feeling of, of loneliness. Or if I felt sad or hopeless, I concluded that's because life is actually sad and hopeless. Right? So why try? Just just give up. Why commit to anything? And I dealt with a lot of apathy and, and hopelessness just as a younger person and just why try don't don't commit to anything and um, dealt with that a lot and it's, it's weird to admit this because I'm very I'm very different now but but looking back at this point in my life very emotionally unhealthy and I would I would like cry myself to sleep a couple times a month a couple times a week uh, that was just normal routine for me I was just in that mode just very driven uh, just kind of bullied by my emotions I was just in them never tried to get out of them and um, it's okay. I'm not that way anymore. I'm, I'm doing better now. Don't worry. But that's where I was at in that phase of life. I'll call that my angsty adolescent years. And just side note, if there's like teenagers, young adults in the room, and you struggle with life, struggle with your emotions, like it is okay. It is okay. I, I have been there. I, I really do get it. I get it, and I just want to encourage everybody to keep fighting the good fight. It does get better. Parents of teenagers, it does get better, okay? <laughs> Hang in there. Hang in there. Like things can change. So So for me, things changed about like mid-20s. I kind of pivoted and I kind of ran over into the other ditch. All right. And I remember because this point in my life, I just decided uh, I was sick of emotion ruling my life because frankly, they were doing a terrible job. My emotions were doing a terrible job. I was like 25, no career, no direction in life, no like family of my own and just going nowhere. I was going nowhere. And I decided like, you know what? Screw my feelings. (laughs) I'm just going to do what I need to do. I need I'm just going to get the job done. Just do the next thing in front of me. I kind of chucked emotions out of the car. Like, these aren't helping me at all. So just let's ignore that stuff. This might be a familiar kind of script to some of you guys. It might be a familiar mindset, um, especially men in the room. Us guys, we get this script at some point, I think, that men, we don't do emotions, All right. We're not supposed to be driven by that stuff. We don't, we don't have feelings. That's for like for girls and sissies, right? Somehow we get, we get this script. I don't know where it comes from, but I got some of that too. And so even when I, was, I would say I was very emotionally driven, I did my best not to show it, right? Because you're supposed to be stoic, right? It's like a stoic vision of masculinity. You're supposed to be stoic. Don't look weak. Don't look vulnerable. Definitely don't cry in front of anybody. Don't reach out for help. You're supposed to have that stuff handled, And so that's, you know, that's kind of where I was at in this phase of life. I was really trying to shut it down on the inside, too. Not just show it, but, like, on the inside, like, I'm just not going to feel that stuff. I'm just going to get the job done. And you know what? It kind of worked for a while. I made some progress in life. I got more disciplined. Things started working for me. Uh, I could commit to stuff because I just didn't care how I felt about it. I'm just going to see it through, right? And uh, there was a dark side there, though. Even as some things got better, there was... A dark side and it showed up in like feelings of numbness and exhaustion some burnout in my life and uh, people around me could feel it people around me could feel it and uh, I I got feedback from people I work with here at church and some volunteers people were saying things like hey Mason you're you're kind of cold and robotic I was like yeah on the inside I feel cold and robotic that's kind of kind of what I'm doing here it's kind of what I'm going for and I realized okay this this isn't healthy either so currently, I'm trying to pull myself back into that middle ground. And, and here's the thing. The reason I was in both of these ditches, I think, is because I didn't really understand what the purpose of emotion was. I didn't get why I have these feelings. Why do we have these pesky things called emotions? Why did God create us this way? And there's an answer on, on one level, like a biological, psychological answer right, that we could give, we could look at. Any, any organism or creature needs motivational, a motivational system in order to do the things it needs to do to, to survive and, and to thrive, right? So, like, fear is to, to motivate you to get away from danger. That's, that's why it's there. Or happiness is to motivate you to go back to what made you happy. It's, it's, it's telling you that this is good for you. This is healthy. Come back here. So, so that, that's helpful for a bit. Um, if you struggle with your emotions, to, to remind yourself, okay, look, when these are working correctly, they're, they're guiding me to do the things I need to do to survive and to thrive. But it didn't fully satisfy me as I was thinking through this, because we can all imagine right, like a, a robot with sophisticated programming to interact with its environment, to do the things it has to do to survive. Like We have things kind of like this, right? And they don't need emotion. They don't need emotion to react in proper ways. So it doesn't quite answer the question, it describes maybe how emotions operate, but it doesn't really give us the, the why. Okay, so I was a little unsatisfied, and and I was looking for a deeper answer. Really, I am looking for a a theological answer. Like, why did God give us emotion? Why is this part of our experience? And this is where I think the Bible really has something for us to to share with us on this. So as I wrestled through this and thought through this, this is kind of what I concluded. I said, I think that we are emotional because God is emotional. We are emotional because God is emotional. And this might be a bit of a reframe for you, depending on your, your concept of God, like how you imagine God to be. If you picture God as like the, the far-off judge, just coldly criticizing and evaluating humanity on our, our moral behavior, that's, that's all God is. It, you probably haven't pictured him as being emotional, experiencing emotions. Um, I just need, to know, need you to know that's not how the Bible portrays God, like at all. It paints a picture of a God who feels and feels deeply, probably more deeply than any of us do. So, I'm just going to blitz through a couple passages from Scripture that, that demonstrate what I'm talking about. First, we can see that God experiences real joy, experiences deep joy. It says this in Zephaniah, "He will take great delight in you. In his love, He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing." Such a cool image there. God rejoices over His people. When he thinks about you, he sings, <laughs> like he sings out loud. This is how he feels about us. He feels deep joy. Actually, we see that God himself is the source of all joy, ultimately. Psalm 16 says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So God experiences deep joy. He wants to share that and give that to us. We see that God is a God of deep compassion. He feels for us in our pain. He takes pity on us in our suffering. Psalm 103 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. But we see that God experiences the hard stuff, too. He experiences the negative emotions, the more unpleasant stuff. We see that he can be grieved and, and saddened. This is an interesting verse right here. Genesis 6 says, The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Very interesting statement. It's saying there, like, the actions of man hurt God at an emotional level. Very interesting. We can hurt God emotionally. Like like a lame translation of this verse could be, uh, we hurt God's feelings. That would be kind of a a lame translation, but it wouldn't be wrong. God can be hurt at the emotional level. We also see that God feels anger. see this throughout the Bible, lots of instances of this. uh, But Numbers 32 says this, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel and he made him wander in the wilderness 40 years until the entire generation of those who had done evil in the sight of the Lord was destroyed. And so, by the way, whenever we see God's anger in the Bible, it's always directed at evil. It's always directed at sin and injustice. God gets angry at the things that threaten what he loves. He's angry at the things that harm his creations. And that's helpful for us to know because that shows us that anger isn't sinful. It's not necessarily sinful because God himself experiences, okay? But what can be sinful is our our response to it, our reaction in our anger. That's why it tells us in Ephesians that in your anger— do not sin. All right, so just a side note on anger there. But, so we see all this from the Old Testament. These are all Old Testament passages that I think show us that God is a God of, of deep emotion. This is the God that the Israelites and the Jews worship. All right? But then we moved to the New Testament. Moved to the New Testament, we see the arrival of Jesus. God in the flesh. God as a human being. And now you really can't miss, you really can't miss it. Because Jesus is a passionate individual. He experiences the full range of of human emotion. And again, this might be a bit of a reframe, depending on how you imagine Jesus to be. Right? If you imagine Jesus as very like, serene and, and very composed, always serious, just kind of above it all, like, that's not really the picture we get in the Gospels. We, we see that Jesus feels. He feels deeply. So again, I'm just going to show you some, some passages that, that demonstrate what I'm talking about. See, Jesus experienced real deep joy and happiness. In John 15, he said this, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. And we see that God experiences real deep joy and he wants to share that with all of us. He wants us to experience his joy. Jesus felt compassion as well. This is all throughout, all throughout the Gospels. Lots of examples, but Matthew 9 says this, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus felt the hard stuff too. He could be saddened. He could be grieved. He felt the unpleasant emotions as well in his time on earth. Does anybody know what the shortest verse in the Bible is? Jesus wept. Yeah. Jesus wept. The context of this verse is he's lost his close friend, Lazarus. Lost his close friend, Lazarus, and he's grieved and he cries about it. It's that simple. It's that simple, that verse. I love that. It's very human and relatable. What Jesus went through right there is exactly how you and I would respond when we lose a close friend. Jesus also could get angry. He could get frustrated. Again, that's, this might be a, a bit of a reframe. If your picture of Jesus, how you imagine him to be is just always, you know, warm and nice and soft and cuddly to everybody. Like, that's not quite accurate. When we, we read in the Gospels is like, yes, of course, Jesus was very gracious, kind, compassionate, all these things. But he could be a little intense when he needed to be. He could be a little stern when the occasion called for it. So here's one of those moments. This is Mark 10. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. So these are his close friends and associates, his followers. He gets frustrated with them. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. So in that that situation, the disciples were trying to keep these kids away from Jesus for whatever reason. They thought he was too busy, too important to deal with the snotty kids, right? And Jesus gets ticked off about it. (laughs) He has some emotion about it. And so I think we learned a couple things. One is don't get between kids and Jesus. Like, like, don't do it. He has strong feelings about that. Still does, I think. And uh, the other thing that we learn is, man, if you get frustrated with your close friends, associates, coworkers, it's okay. Jesus did too. Jesus did too. And it's totally normal. It's going to happen. It's not necessarily sinful to experience some frustration with those you work with, those you're closest with. What can be sinful is what we do with our anger. How do we respond to that in our anger? So there's a way to be angry with somebody and still love them and still respect them, okay? So we we look at all this. We look at the Old Testament. We look at the New Testament, the emotional life of God that we see throughout Scripture. There's more passages we could go into, but I think it all starts to come together. We start to remember who and what God is in his essence. Like, who is God fundamentally? We as Christians believe that God is love. Ultimately, God is love. This defines Him at a very, very deep level. First John four eight says this: "Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love." And a lot of people say things like this. You'll hear this, like "God is love," that from Christians or, or not, um, maybe your spiritual, not religious kind of people will say things like this. But Christians can mean this in a very concrete way. Right? Because we believe in a trinity, we believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that God exists as these three persons in loving relationship. God has always existed as a loving relationship. So we can really mean this in a unique way that God is love, because that defines him, that defines who he is, this loving relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we start to understand that love defines God at his very core, now it starts to make sense why emotions are part of our experience. Because what is love without emotion? What is love without emotion? What would that even look like to have a love without emotion? Can you, can you imagine that? Like, like you're at, you know, your wedding day looking at your, your husband, your wife-to-be and say, you know, I love you. I commit my whole life to you. You have everything, but I feel nothing towards you. I have zero emotions towards you. Well, well, we wouldn't call that love. That's, that's something, but I, I don't think that's, that's love. And I don't want to say that, I'm not saying that love is an emotion, that love is just an emotion or a feeling. It's a lot bigger concept then that it uh, involves your will and your actions, your commitment. Like love is not just a feeling, but I'm going to say it's going to require some feeling. It's going to require some emotion to really be what we would call love. So if you remember that we're made in God's image, if God is love, and we're made in his image, we're made to be in relationship with him, I, I think it gets pretty obvious why we have emotion. How else could we love and experience God? In fact, I think this whole universe, this whole creation project is made for the purposes of love. So emotion has to be part of the picture because we're made to be in loving relationship with God and in loving relationship with each other. So why emotion? So we can love and experience God. This is why you have to deal with these pesky things called emotions. See, see in God's original design, your emotions would always guide you correctly in your, in, your, in your loving relationship with God and with other people. Your emotions would always function correctly to guide you in that process. But What's happened? right? Why the trouble with emotions? Well, it's because we believe as Christians that sin has entered the world. Sin has entered the world and it's warped our entire reality. It's warped ourselves, especially our emotions. We can't trust our emotions anymore because they've been twisted. Actually, scripture tells us that they're actively working to deceive us at times. It says this in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So we're in a bit of a conundrum here, right? These things that are supposed to guide us and direct us in our relationships with God and with each other can no longer be trusted. They're actively deceiving us. What do we do? What do we do in this situation? And I could throw out some like, practical tips and advice and stuff, but that's not going to solve the core issue of a deceitful heart. And here we, just, we have to return to the gospel. You have to return the gospel. You need a new heart. You need a new heart. You can't change your heart on your own because it's deceitful at its very core. Any attempt at self-salvation is just going to lead to another deception because it stems from a deceitful heart. You're not going to get out of that, that trap, that routine. You need a heart transplant, essentially. And this is exactly what God promises to give you when you put your faith in Jesus. It says in Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh such a beautiful picture there. See, see, once you've given your heart to Christ, you will receive new emotions and new emotional patterns. Okay? You can experience this. If you put your faith in Jesus, you're gonna feel new things in new ways and in, in new levels than you did before. And it's, it's not always an overnight process. Some people experience some really rapid transformation, like instantly. Others of us, maybe it's more gradual transition, but all of us, if we're believers in Christ, we're on this road of sanctification, okay? And that's just that's a churchy word to, that means to be made more holy, to be made more and more Christ-like. And there may be some rapid transition, there may be more steady, slow growth, but we're all on that road of having our hearts restored and renewed and be made more and more like Christ. He's changing your heart and changing your emotional patterns as you follow him. But let's say you have done that. You have given your heart to Christ. And you know he's working on you. He's changing your heart. He's restoring you. Is there anything we can do to help in this process? Is there anything we can do to take some steps forward on the journey? And there's a lot of directions we could look at. There's a lot of good stuff being written now about emotional health and emotional intelligence. A lot of good practical stuff out there. But what I want to do right here is I want to look at a, one very intense emotional experience in Jesus' life. Because if Jesus is the only perfect man who ever lived, which is what we believe, we'd say he's the most emotionally healthy person that's ever lived, right? So we're going to look at this one moment, a tense emotional moment, and we're going to see how the most emotionally healthy person that's ever existed, how did he deal with intense emotions? How did he deal and process through these things? So the situation I'm talking about is Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, okay? And you can read this for yourself in Luke 22 and Matthew 26. I'm going to be pulling from both those accounts. Uh, but if you're at a Good Friday, this may, a, this may be a bit of review for some of you, but if you're not familiar or you weren't there, let me set the scene for you. Jesus, this is the night before he's about to be crucified. This is the night before he's about to be crucified. He knows exactly what's coming at him. So you know, physically, he gets, he's looking forward to being beaten, whipped, nailed to a cross. He's going to be tortured to death. That's, that's what's going to happen to him. So he's experiencing extreme stress about that, as would you or I, okay? Relationally, uh, all his disciples are going to let him down. He knows this. He's, t- he's told Peter, like, yeah, you're going you're to betray me three times before the, before the rooster crows. Judas, a close friend, is going to betray him to his accusers, right? All the disciples are going to let him down in one way or the other. So that's very disappointing and stressful to know that's coming. Uh, lastly, there's this really deep spiritual element going on that's, that's hard to even understand. But see, Jesus, as God the Son, has always been in perfect relationship with God the Father. Again, going back to the idea of the Trinity, they've always been in perfect relationship. This, this is about to be interrupted because he's going to take on the sin of the world, Jesus is, and that's going to lead to separation between him and God the Father. So God is about to be separated from God, which I don't know what that means. I don't think anybody does. You can think about that the rest of your life and, and get back to me if you figure it out. But Jesus is dreading this moment. Jesus is dreading all of this, mentally, physically, spiritually. So what does he do? He gets his guys together and he goes to this garden, and he's going to prepare himself. He says, hey, can, can we go here? Can we pray? It's a regular rhythm in Jesus' life. When they get to the garden, he says this to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So he tells his guys, man, this, this is heavy. This is intense. I'm, I'm being crushed under this load. Can you, can you be with me in this moment? Can you just be with me right here and support me as I go through this? So the first thing I think we learn from Jesus in this situation is he's real with his friends. He's honest about his feelings with his friends and close companions. And so if Jesus isn't above reaching out for help, neither are you, okay? Neither is any of us. None of us is above reaching out for help. If Jesus can reach out for help, so should you. How much more should we, right? Strong emotions aren't meant to be processed on your own. They're meant to be processed in community, and Jesus shows us that right here in this moment. He doesn't try to face this moment alone. He brings his guys with him. There's no such thing as an emotionally healthy, isolated person. Not even Jesus would do that, okay? Actually, this is why one of our goals this year is to see every person in a serve team or a small group. We want to see all of you plugged into some sort of group, some sort of community. This is not for us, okay? We don't need you to do a bunch of work for us or to, to boost our numbers up. No, this, this is for you because you need those relationships around you. You need people to work through this intense stuff of life. And so, so don't wait until the storm comes, right? Don't wait until you're in those intense moments. Start now. Start now to develop those relationships and those friendships that, that, so that people can walk beside you when you're going through the intense stuff. And church, this means that we have to step up and be emotionally available for people that are going through these things. I love how Paul says this. He paints a great picture of this in Romans 12. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. We have to be emotionally available and ready to feel what others are feeling. We got to be ready to go and walk right beside them through what they're going through. It's really, it's heartbreaking to see Jesus in this moment. He's reaching out for that, and he just does not receive it. If you know the story, so he's asking his guys, hey, be with me, pray with me, support me. And then he goes off for an hour. It's really late. And so he comes back, and the disciples have all fallen asleep. He's pretty frustrated with them, again. He <laughs> gets frustrated with them, wakes them up, like, come on, guys. Like, this is really intense. This is, a, this is the darkest moment of my life. Can you, can you be with me right now? Can you just keep watch? Can you pray with me? And he goes off again, prays for an hour, comes back. They've all fallen asleep again. And at that point, he's just, he kind of just gives up and says, well, too late now. The, my accuser's here. And... <laughs> And as I was reading through this this last week, I just, man, I thought of how many people in our church and our community have felt like Jesus in this moment? It's like, they've reached out for help. They said, I'm, I'm really going through the thick of it. Can you just be with me? And they're just not getting it, just being let down. And I, I don't say that to guilt any of us. I know I have disappointed so many of you and so many people in my own life, but man, just, it's just a call to be ready. Like, are we ready for those moments when they come? I'm sure all the disciples look back at this moment with profound regret. Like, I cannot believe, I cannot believe I let Jesus down in his darkest hour, his deepest moment of need, and I was literally sleeping on the job. Literally sleeping on the job. I'm sure they all look back at this and said, never again. Never again am I going to be caught sleeping on the job when someone's going through the thick of it like this. I'm going to be ready next time. So I hope that can be our attitude as a church, that we would be ready for people when they're in these moments. Second thing I think we learn from Jesus in this situation is he's real with God. He's real with his Father about what he's feeling. Luke 22, it shows us some of what Jesus prayed when he went off to pray by himself. He said this, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And so the cup here he's talking about, it refers to God's judgment. It's a picture in the Bible that's going to be poured out on him for the sin of the world. That's the cup he's asking, like, please take this away from me. And we, man, we just really see the humanity of Jesus and the honesty of Jesus in this moment. He's, he's telling the Father, like, is there any other way? Is there any other possible way we can do this? Because everything I'm feeling, everything, everything I'm feeling on the inside says, run the other way. Says, this is going, going to suck. Says, I don't want this. And he's honest with his father about that. Like, is there any other way? Can we can we try something else? Actually, this, this situation where he's sweating blood is a is a real medical thing. I looked it up. It's called hematohydrosis. It's caused by conditions of extreme stress. That's the level of emotion Jesus is at. Extreme stress. And I love that Jesus doesn't hide any of this from his father. He's not pretending like he's got it together, like, I'm totally got this crucifixion thing down. Like, we're good. I got it locked down. I'm fine. No, he's not trying to put up a front. He's not trying to hold it together. He's so raw and honest with his father. Is there any other way? I think what we learn from this is that honesty before God is never sinful. Honesty before God is never sinful. You can always bring what you're feeling to the father. You never have to hide that stuff. You never have to hide any of that. We see this all throughout the scriptures. This is modeled for us. People are so raw and honest with God. I see it most noticeably in the, in the Psalms. I've been reading through those. And, uh, man, all the psalmists, they're, they're just so brutal, le- brutally honest and raw and real with God. They're questioning him. Why, God? Why? Why did you allow this to happen? Why this? Why that? Actually, Jesus goes on to quote one of these psalms when he's, again, he's, when he's on that cross being tortured to death. He says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like, if that's not emotional honesty, I, I don't know what is. And Jesus could go there. And that means you and I can too. We can be that honest with our Father. We never have to hide what we're feeling from Him. It's modeled throughout Scripture, it's modeled by Jesus in these moments too. He's honest with His Father about His feelings. So you never have to hide that stuff. You can always take that to the Father. He cherishes those moments with us, I think. The last thing I think we learn from Jesus in this moment is that He does the right thing anyway. He does the right thing anyway despite everything he's gone through, despite all the turmoil and anguish of this moment, he makes the right decision. Jesus doesn't run away in the Garden of Gethsemane. Nope, he, he faces up to his accusers. He gets, lets himself be arrested and follows through on the mission that he was given. See, at the end of, see, the, end of the day, Jesus knows his mission. He knows exactly what he's been called to do. Despite everything he's feeling, despite every emotion pulling him the other way, he follows through and does the will of his father. Not my will, but yours be done, Right? Not my will, but yours be done. I mean, just going back to like some of what we were talking about earlier, if you're, a, if you're a dude out there that really identifies with that, you know, that stoic vision of masculinity, like we're supposed to be above our emotions and impervious to emotion, not driven and controlled by it. In a way, Jesus is kind of your dude here. Like he's kind of your guy. He's like the ideal example. Like I could argue this is the most stoic thing anyone's ever done. Like, like look at the guy. He's literally sweating blood. All right, overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, feeling the weight of humanity's sinfulness. And he says, I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to complete the mission. I'm going to do what my father has asked of me, despite what it costs me, despite how I feel about it. I'm going to obey the will of my father. This is like that hero moment, right? In every, every film, we just want to cheer because the hero decides he's all in. Like he doesn't care what it costs him. He doesn't care what his emotions are saying. He's going to follow through and do the right thing. And I think Jesus, like, he affirms a lot of our, some of our instincts about how men should be, what masculinity should be like, that we should be able to rise above emotion. We should be willing to suffer pain for the sake of others, for the good of others. But but notice he subverts a lot of our baggage around that stuff, too. A lot of our baggage around the concept of masculinity. Because he's not afraid to look weak. He's not afraid to cry in front of his disciples. He's not afraid to be vulnerable. He's not afraid to reach out for help, to be emotionally honest. So he affirms and subverts some of our ideas around masculinity. And I know there's a lot of talk about toxic masculinity these days, some of that good, some of that bad conversation. But I think Jesus in this moment is such a good corrective to all of that. He shows us what healthy, proper masculinity looks like in this moment. But I think all of us as Christians, men and women, women, we need to be able to learn from Jesus' example in this situation. We need to be able to flex the muscle Jesus is flexing here. See, if our emotions and obedience to God come into conflict, we have to choose obedience to God, right? We have to choose obedience to God. Going back to that picture, we have to stay in control of the vehicle, hands on the steering wheel. But we're not ignoring our emotions either, right? Because Jesus isn't ignoring his emotions. He's aware of them. He's in conversation with them. He's open with his friends. He's asking for help. Can you, can you be with me? Can you support me? Can you process through this stuff with me? Most importantly, he's honest with his Father. He's honest with his Father about what he's going through, how he feels about it, and he's reaching out for help. So I hope we can all learn something from Jesus in this moment and learn to be emotionally honest with ourselves, with others, and with God, with God our Father. And then prayerfully and by the Spirit, we continue to ask him to renew us, to renew our emotions, renew our heart, to be more and more like his. So to close out, I want to give you just a few steps to, to put this into action this week, some things you could do practically this week. One is this. You can begin a relationship with Jesus. Man, if you need, a, you need that new heart, you felt that this morning like, yeah, I need, some, I need some new emotions. I need some new emotional patterns. Jesus can do that for you. You can begin that journey today of renewing your heart, restoring your heart. Secondly, you could join a serve team or a small group. You need community and you need people around you to process the hard stuff. Fill that out if you need to be in community this week. Thirdly, you could open up to someone this week about a difficult emotion you're working through, something you're struggling with. Again, you could follow Jesus' example and be real about that with somebody. Lastly, if, you're, if this is something more serious, like a really deep emotional problem, persistent wound, I want to encourage you to go to hope2alaska. hopetoalaska.org. Uh, this is a website um, and a fund. If you don't know what Hope to Alaska is, this is something we set up uh, to pay for people's counseling, professional counsel, counseling and therapy. So if you can't afford that stuff, Go check this out, hope to alaskaorg Even if you can't afford that stuff, you just don't know where to start. It's confusing. It's weird. You can, you can go check this out. Fill out, um, there's a button there that says uh, Get Hope. If you can start in that process, we got people that can help you on your journey, whether you got the finances or not. Last thing I want to do, this isn't on your action steps, but if you need help today, you're struggling with something right now, we have something for you. So we got a prayer team. You guys can come forward right now. Just to the, they'll be at the front of the stage here. Uh, during the worship set, if you need something, whether it's emotional, you know, physical healing, spiritual, whatever, come forward. These guys can pray for you. Uh, if you guys would, though, let's stand up right now. And let's pray as we, as we close out in worship. Jesus, we thank you that you chose obedience. You chose obedience to the Father, God. And we, we pray that we could learn from your example, God. Show us, show us how to be like you in that moment, God. Show us how to choose the right thing in the midst of our struggle, God. God, show us how to be emotionally available, God. Show us how to be healthy with each other in our relationships. God, I pray that we could be there for each other in a new way, that this church would be known for being ready, being ready for the people that are hurting and struggling, God. God, I pray for the person that's struggling right now. God, that you begin to restore them, that you begin to heal them. I pray that they would um they be able to reach out this morning, God. I pray for us to, to reach out to them if we, if we spot those people, God, that you begin the healing process this morning, today, right now. God, we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.